0: My wife prays to God. What kind of God does this shit?
1: <laughs> No, 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 no,
0: This track is so fucking hard, it had to have two samples in it. (laughs) Welcome back to This Is Hardcore Podcast. You just heard Missing Link, Psalms the Stone. Mike Riley, vocalist of Missing Link, will be our guest on the show today. This track is absolutely fucking hard as nails. Missing Link from all over New York uh, Featuring also Nick the Killer From Pain of Truth As we talked about in the interview Shadow Realm played with Missing Link Back in 2021 And was fucking mind blown Incredible The record will be out on Never Ran Never Will Records Who is uh, The label Of Richie Crutch Wisdom and Chains Rule of Three, Fast Break Records, Crucified everything. He's the Godfather of Pennsylvania Hardcore, and uh, yeah, he's back in this. I back fucking back this track. This is a weird week, right? I think for a lot of people, Hardcore kids especially, because sometimes the family unit isn't really the family unit of the TV shows, right? And um, I'm still recovering from. Emotionally recovering from an epic night at the First Unitarian Church with all my friends, but recovering from a little bit of a cold. And, um, you know, you make what you make out of a holiday. If you are sitting at home, you can't get off the couch because you don't have anywhere to go. You're Paralyzed in anxiety and fear Of being social with family members That you haven't seen You're not the only person Um Depending on the year Depending on the situation Depends greatly On what Thanksgiving was to me As a child And then You know getting into your 20's or 30's And it gets a little bit better Or it doesn't You know um there was a Thanksgiving where we were getting kicked out of the house because cops illegally used a warrant to search my house and I had to get evicted. and we had to take all of our things out of that house and place it in storage and hopefully find somewhere to live. so we didn't have to sleep on couches or rent a hotel. We had a dog. We had some Boston Market. And it wasn't the world's greatest Thanksgiving. But it was something that I remember. You know, there's going to be highs and lows in everyone's life. I don't know what your idea of Thanksgiving is. So if you have, like, this idea of, like, 40 family members sitting across and there's just food and football and the Internet argument with my conservative, blah blah blah, then hey man, that's great. I never really had that kind of shit. So it's smaller. Our family unit was smaller. The few times that we ate with other families, my mother was dating somebody for a long time and he, they were trying to do like the right thing and involve us in their family. That was a lot. It was a lot to be at a table with more than just four people. And um, so, intimately, I prefer a more intimate surrounding Thanksgiving. Um, I've had a couple of fa- Thanksgivings where it was just me, Kem, and Matt Gallagher at a diner. You know, um, Kem's family not living at home. Matt's family not observing Thanksgiving because they do more on Christmas. It, you know, and even those were great. So... I'm saying this to you, that not everybody has to have the big bird, all the relatives, all the things. Because this day coming up is for you to take some inventory on the things that are good in your life. Things that you should be proud of. Or just acknowledge that you can still get up and walk if you can. And there are people that can't, so I acknowledge that. If you can still get up and walk, then you have things to look forward to that other people may not. If you have a roof over your head, then you have stuff that other people sometimes don't have. If you have the ability to acquire enough stuff for a meal, you have things that other people may not have. And then as you add family units and good relationships and if you're married, if you have a good girlfriend or a good boyfriend, if you've got so, if you've got people to be at a table around, and you've got some food to share and some laughs to have, that ain't a bad day. You know, never let the societal norm that's projected on the internet now, but on TV shows forever, movies forever, don't let that be the guide to what Thanksgiving's supposed to be because. That's a projection It's not what it really is And I had to learn that And I say that a lot around the holidays And as they come crashing in You're never going to see a picture Of someone's fridge that's empty I have 12 or 13 items in my refrigerator right now Because I used to just buy random shit And it would go bad all the time So I'm doing the minimal thing As far as what's in my fridge And um You're never going to see someone Post a bank account that's negative negative. You're only going to see someone on the internet post the W's. And I can tell you I had a lot of L's, so I see it. I used to not believe it, but it's real, you know? Um, It is more important to be around people that want to be around you than be upset that you can't be around the people that are supposed to be around you. And when I say supposed to... A lot of people in hardcore have a family unit... Or family structure that's a little fucked up... And that's how you ended up in this situation... In this fucking goofy... Hybrid music and subculture... It's because you didn't have... Some normalcy... And life just was a little harder... To get by and this music got you through... So... Don't chase... The normal person's fucking thing. It's not for us, you know. I, I had a. The, the little more I learn about myself, the more I learn. Like this is why I'm at where I'm at. However, there are people that give a fuck about you, and you are loved, and that that's what's important. As long as you're a part of this thing, and you're you're around people. You have a good chance of getting out and getting to some form of goal that you may have. I'm not a motivational speaker here, but I'm just letting you know, like, unless you're completely insulated by yourself, you speak to nobody, you don't go out, you don't have a job, you don't have electricity, I mean, even then, you can still probably get out of these things if you put things in motion, but don't. Take these days as if you don't have this day and it's not perfect, your life sucks because it's just a day. It's just a meal. And I've had a Thanksgiving in a hotel in St. Louis. I've had a Thanksgiving in Memphis with one of my lifetime best friends whose girl demanded us travel there so we could eat. I've had a myriad of Thanksgiving and Christmas That have been different Some great Some not great Some traumatizing to get back into I don't like to go public with And I just realized that it's another day And it's it's not the whole sum of your year It's not the whole sum of who you are And it's not the whole sum of the success Or the direction of your life Sometimes when I've worked my hardest Things have gotten really low on these days And I didn't go this day is not good, so my life is bad. Now I push forward, and I hope that you do that. And um, but no, I, I was pondering on Friday. I had a show, Youth of the Day, Outburst, and it, Royal Brigade, cut down the church, and that was like the mile marker moment of celebrating twenty five years of doing hardcore shows. And it felt good. It felt good to say, hey, I've been doing this, this, this long, which is essentially what it was. You know, like there's no fucking Mayor Kenny out there being like, Joe, upon the city of Philadelphia, we congratulate you for 25 years. It's not going to be like that. There's no organizing body, there's no official people that keep track of this, you know? So, on my own merit, on my own volition I chose right around that time to celebrate it and do it with the show that I thought was a tremendous show lineup wise and I still think that the show was tremendous and the reaction was amazing and seeing old friends and just everything about it was fantastic but it was a good way to say hey I've been doing this 25 years and I went from being a kid who was doing shows in a neighborhood that people still don't live in, really. And what we've done as a culture and as a small community in those neighborhoods have become the beacon of light and the bearers of hardcore today. Without the people from our neighborhoods before us, none of these things would have happened. You know, I was lucky to live three blocks from. Club Pizzazz but being in the single digits as a child I never got to experience these shows but I acknowledge Sean Money and Mike McNannis and the brother and everybody involved in hardcore in Philadelphia at that time because had they not done what they did there wouldn't be a hardcore scene for what I would come into and what I would take part in and later help usher through the last 25 years and again I do shows in Philadelphia. This is correct. I'm not the only person. I'm not the first person. I won't be the last. Um, I'm sure of that in Bob Wilson, who is absolutely one of the best ever in Philadelphia. Alex Bradley, who I have high hopes for. Stucky, he's coming along pretty good. But it's off the backs of Sean Agnew, who would create our five productions be the person who really took the first Unitarian church from a hodgepodge of people who could call up the church and rent it out to organizing and creating a system that would make the church be a underground venue that some years potentially maybe did almost 300 events in a year. And when the city shut it down, he founded 4040, which was the first venue in the city of Philadelphia that was like that, and it was short-lived in West Philly because it was on Penn Campus. But just having the acumen, audacity, and ability to build forty forty for that short time just shows what he could accomplish. And then, of course, an amazing return to the First Unitarian Church after a year or so of all of the things being on um. 40th of Walnut At that venue I fucking Now the name eludes me And everyone listens I'm Like dude what was this You fucking idiot But I don't remember the name But need to say There was a shit ton of shows Oh the Rotunda There was amazing shows there My One time The church Had a fuck up And so they just did the show at the Rotunda And it was Didn't even start to like Eight or nine And I always say this It was Seven uh, Seven seconds Kill your idols, vision, and reach the sky. And that was the one of the last times I seen punk skins, hardcore people from all over Philadelphia. Kind of one of the last moments before the internet where, you know, felt like the city was still all going to the same show. And it hasn't been like that in that long. But I mean, just some of the shows that he's put on and then him eventually taking me from Helping them out with security, to allowing me to put some hardcore shows into the church, and then him fostering and helping me put together, this is hardcore from 2006 to 2011, showing me the roots, giving me the background. You know, it wasn't it, it's it's in Sean that this is hardcore, and everything that really became the last 16 years was possible. And so, this isn't 25 years of me being the fucking man. It's a 25-year journey between fucking up, making mistakes, booking shows at fucked up venues, having bills fall apart, um, having bands not show up, having extra bands show up. Um, A million of the, uh, a lot of the very first luck 13 shows that would make it to the internet were mine when I was 17 years old. Um, And yet, I'm standing there at the church with, People who were there at the foundation of me doing shows, Diego and Slave, who brought their children to the show, who are resurrecting Freight Train, the tracks out. You gotta. It'll. Well, by the time you listen to this on... thing, it's gonna come. This will come out Thursday morning, or it'll be out. So Freight Train's back. John Neen, his son Malachi's at every fucking show. I mean, John's band No Authority played. With 25 to Life You know like This has been my lifetime Of these sh- shows And the Joe McHenry's And the Steve Bush's You know They were there You know Even Barletti Even though he was in his world He was still a part of that scene At that time You know the John AJ Insano was still alive Carmen D'Amico um, Shame from 4 Life so all these people that are past, too, as well, that without their impact could could have gotten to 25 years. You know, I had, lucky that I had Chris Spear on episode three as one of, like, my life, in, most impactful people in my life. Without Chris Spear, I don't know how much I would have done in hardcore just by his tutelage and just examples shown, you know? I guess I'm saying all this to say that after 25 years, I have realized it's a cool thing to get To the point where I've still been doing this this long. But it's on the backs. And in the hearts of mentors and friends. And supporters that have gotten here. And it wasn't an ego fest. Where it was like look at me I'm so great. It's like. It's again I will pay homage always to the people that put on. And and built things that I would then build on top of. You know um, the first GB show that sold out. GB with pagan babies. There's probably people in other parts of the city that, or not other parts of the city, but other parts of the country that wouldn't even think to put like a pagan babies type band on a Gorilla Bishkid show in 2022. But it's like, who the fuck else plays with the pagan the Gorilla Bishkid at the church if we ain't getting the fucking pagan babies? You know? It's like a fucking legendary. Late '80s hardcore band from our neighborhood who played with Gorilla Biscuits. Mark Pingitore was close with Walter and all them dudes. They, you know, like they, Walter and them dudes loved that fucking record. People were capping for them. It was probably, you know, one of the most one of the most known Philadelphia hardcore bands. And if you know the Penguin Babies, I mean, that doesn't. We didn't really have that many bands that were really well known outside of our own area, which has been the Philadelphia hardcore legacy. However, the Philadelphia hardcore legacy that I am lucky to carry on is we've always had some bad motherfucking shows. Some of the best shows in the world. In the world, like on in the whole planet, we've had some of the best. And I'm happy that I helped. I'm happy that I was there. I was happy that because of the things that other people did now me a platform and and an opportunity to continue the tradition of maybe we don't have the next Gorilla Biscuits in Philadelphia but we just sold out two motherfucking Gorilla Biscuits fucking shows yeah we we sold out the second Gorilla Biscuits show uh, earlier today and, and that's an accomplishment I love hardcore I love what we do I love that it continues. I love the younger people who are discovering the old things and the younger people who are creating the new things. I love when someone who is new finds something old that they like. And I like when someone who is new takes something that's old and makes it cool again. The only thing I really don't like is when there's someone who's brand new Who just doesn't give a fuck about anything that happened before them, thinks everything that they're doing is of their own mind and volition, and that no one's ever come to that conclusion or idea before. It's the only time I'm like, listen, everything in hardcore has been done before, and um, everything, every idea to some degree has been touched upon. And depending on how far you want to take an idea, you'll be out of the borders, or words like, "Well, that's cool, but it's not really like a hardcore thing." So, keeping up. Thank you for the support. Twenty-five years means a lot, but it just means that we still gotta go to work. We don't rest on laurels, and we don't stop. Philadelphia Hardcore shows doesn't fucking stop. They made some shirts, which is probably the coolest thing. Um, the coolest thing is that I didn't know about it. And I'm not feeling good, and I'm like, "Fuck, I just want to clean up, so I can go home and sleep." And I turn, I'm like, "It's like, hey, man, we got this for you. It's a shirt." And he gives me a shirt, and I'm like, "What is it?" Like, yeah, so, uh, we're all gonna get a picture in front of the stage when you're ready. But we love you, man, and we made you the shirt to commemorate this. And I had to turn my back and like not cry, cause it was probably one of the coolest things ever. You know, um, for me specifically. I'm proud of everybody involved with the hardcore scene in Philadelphia and the people that I surround myself with because I talk to a lot of people in hardcore. And I feel like these are the folks really kicking some ass, really doing some fucking work. Um, Quickly, Keystone Jam is December 17th. Terror has just let us know that they are doing lowest of the low in its entirety as well so as our headliner of the big show it just gets crazier Keystone Jam has Life of Agony Agnostic Front and Strife <laughs> on top of Terror plus Wisdom and Change plus Step 4 Dishonor and Bulldoze and Shattered Realm and like you know Missing Link so many fucking bands and um, it's three weeks away or so it's three and a half maybe so don't miss it Um, we also have this wild band from England that you know could be the next Deftones. They're called Loathe. That show is almost sold out. Can't believe it. They were the support for, Conver- uh, for Code Orange, and Code couldn't play the show in Philly, so we did a church show last minute with Dying Wish. They were on that tour, and now Loathe is doing their own show at Static Dress and Omerta and Pale Dusk, and the show is selling great. We also have the day after Cro- um, the Keystone Jam Cromags. There's Whit Harley, Why Die? There's another Philadelphia legendary band. Um, Battalion Zaska is Pat Von Society, Eric from Creep, and uh, Without Peace, which is the drummer of Floor Punch, but more importantly, Rupa Zimkus. this red-headed motherfucker, gets on stage in Boston or wherever the fuck. He sings with you today, then he repeats it in Philly. This motherfucker's a star. You gotta check out Without Peace. I'll probably play their track next week or something. Then we have the violent we- um the violent ass show up in Reading. Um Sure Terror, The Chisel, Wisdom and Chains. They're doing an all blood for blood set, Violent Way, End It, Buried Dreams, The Fight and Please Die. Yeah, that's uh January fourteenth. And that's in Reading. And um of course we saw that two more girl bits show. We have more shows coming. Just check out phillyhardcoreshows.com I don't know if they're going to make more shirts I don't know the deal But if you want one I think that they might be making more Philly Hardcore shirts Um, Okay So We're going to have a conversation with Mike Riley When I was standing there in Toledo Not in Toledo In Detroit, Detroit I don't know why I even said Toledo Um, I was tired It was the like a four day run or three day run or whatever And It was Sunday And in my head I'm going Do I just fly home Or do I get in the car And make sure everybody else Drives with them And um, I'm watching these bands And it was, It's been pretty cool It was cool It was the first weekend run We've done First weekend run I've done in years like Over ten years So Just kind of Just vibing with it Seeing some old friends And this fucking band Gets on stage And I'm like Who the fuck are these animals And um, Jesus Christ If you're going to listen to heavy hard music I I would subscribe Missing Link Purely on the fact that When you look at the band playing They match the music that's coming out of it But there was something more to it The vibe the, 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 The true energy on the stage was there They were fucking sick And I absolutely was like Holy fuck Like this band's cool and I even text Rich, dude, you guys gotta do something. He's like, no, I think we are. I think we are doing something with these guys. I'm like, already? Fuck. Okay, cool, yeah, this is the fucking man. Missing Link's fucking sick. And, um, Mike's story's fucking cool as fuck. And I got to learn a lot about him. And I hope that you enjoy this interview. Make sure you check out Psalms to Sun, uh, Psalms to Stone. And check out Never Ran, Never Will Records. And, um... Yeah, this is actually a rashy, really cool interview. And Missing Link's an upcoming band. And I'm going to try to do a little bit more of just some upcoming people. And thank you for listening. And sorry for the delay in episodes. And we'll, we'll talk again next week. To the cloud. Today, we're talking to Mike Ryan of the Almighty Missing Link. The first time. I saw this band was in Michigan, and as these guys got on stage, I was like, all right, this actually looks like a band that should be playing this kind of music, and I started texting Richie, being like, oh, how the fuck aren't you guys putting this out, blah, 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 and he's like, no, dude, like, we're friends with them guys, and we're gonna put this shit out, and I was just mind blown from that moment, and so with the release of this new record, I'm glad that you guys are kicking ass, and... Doing shit with Richie, and I'm just happy to have you on the show.
2: Yeah, yeah, thanks for having me. Um, yeah, we're excited to put this shit out. It's been too long, I feel.
0: <laughs> so, we'll take this all the way back. Where did you grow up?
2: Uh, I grew up in upstate New York, small city called Auburn. Uh, yeah. Like 30 well, 30-ish minutes from Syracuse.
0: That's out. That's out there. Did you um? Did your parents play any kind of music that would get you towards hardcore punk, or did you have to find that on your own?
2: Uh, my dad is actually like a rap guy, um, but my uncle was a big time metalhead, like uh, Metallica, Kiss, Crowbar, Pantera, that sort of stuff. Um, so I guess you could see how I kind of landed on hardcore. <laughs> but uh, my older cousin, I. I was like kind of a skate punk, you know, but wasn't really, didn't really care about music. My older cousin, Dustin, uh, shout out to him. He was a a hardcore kid already by the time, you know, he was like 13. I was maybe like 10. Um, and he kind of got me into it that way just for the neighborhood kids.
0: So living out in Auburn, what was there to do as you were a kid, just skate kind of hang around, throw rocks at trains or what kind of childhood, (laughs) what kind of childhood into early, uh, Elementary school, what kind of trouble were you guys getting into out there?
2: Yeah, that that honestly about sums it up. Like, we used to do a lot of stuff like that. Um, a lot of, you know, I didn't start skating until I was maybe like 10 or 11 or whatever. But I grew up kind of playing hockey, um, stuff like that. But, yeah, there's not a lot going on. Um, a lot of, uh, you know, kind of the typical sort of rust belt stuff happening, like, you know, tons of drug addicts, and alcoholics and shit. So it was more finding stuff to do, keep yourself busy. Lots of throwing rocks at trains. <laughs> uh, yeah, not a, not a lot. Mostly, yeah, skating. And, and then once once we got into music, that was kind of that, you know.
0: Was there anything that you can recall from – were you watching skate videos back then, or were you just out there skating?
2: You know, I grew up in a neighborhood where there was a lot of kids uh, a little bit older than I was that were already into skating. And that's, I think, what kind of got me into it. Um, and then once I was into that, that kind of, you know, blew up for me. Uh, I remember watching like Flip Sorry was like the first video I watched that really like, blew my mind. Um, but yeah, It was mostly like older kids that were kind of like skate punks and into hardcore shit already because uh, there was a lot of bands. From Auburn at that time so
0: now what was the first one that you can recall getting hip to first band yeah uh,
2: if hope dies without a doubt I don't know if you remember them but yeah uh, yeah they're from Auburn the drummer was my fifth grade teacher uh, <laughs> and from my neighborhood actually so
0: did he slid you um, the tape he was like yo, young ball check this out like how, how did you did you know at the time he was the drummer like how did you get linked up
2: No, they, they were, um, they were already pretty big, like locally, especially. Um, and the first time I ever heard them, I saw them live. So it was my first show in April of 2003. Um, I saw, uh, if Up dies headline and there was like a bunch of other, bunch of other locals just at this venue. But, um, yeah, man, I remember that, like it was yesterday, um, just walking in and this band called the devil's discipline opened. And from the first note, I was just hooked.
0: What kind of venue was it?
2: It was a salvation army gym.
0: Dude. That's so fucking
2: cool that we had in downtown. Yeah. We, we had a lot of gym shows that was pretty, pretty popular. We ended up getting a venue that you might've played throughout the years called uh, Booker T Washington center. Um, It was kind of like in the hood, just like a gym. We booked all sorts of stuff there throughout the years. So
0: was it any bit overwhelming to kind of go from just being some kind of skate kid to being immersed into this whole new world? And how did you acclimate yourself to it?
2: Um, it was not, not so much because I had a group of kids that was just slightly older than me. That kind of revolved around my cousin that, that, uh, and like neighborhood kids that I knew, um, and you know, the, the, the cool thing about Auburn was the older dudes that were into it were really good about trying to get young kids into it. Um, but that said, it, it was, it was definitely crazy. And, and the thing that I was the most attracted to, I think was how crazy it was. Um, so, you know, as kind of like scary as it is, as like a 12 year old to be, you know, sort of like getting involved i i wanted to dive headfirst you know
0: did you have any record stores or anything that in the area was there anything else besides just being at the shows at first that was able to get you more into this
2: yeah so we had um on cue that it was like a chain um and fye they were both chains we didn't have like a not like a record store that you could go buy like records at, I guess they were more like corporate CD stores, but they had hardcore kids that worked at them. So I remember I actually went into, they had like a hardcore metal section at this store at the mall. I went in and I bought all out war, um, for those who were crucified, just based on the, (laughs) on the album cover, it had like a sticker that said like for fans of hate breed and you know, whatever else like that at the time. And I was like, man, this looks tough, so I bought it. And, you know, <laughs> great record to buy on a web, I guess. Well,
0: what was in your collection before you pulled into all war? Like, what was the stuff that you were listening to, and then what drove you to that?
2: So at first, it was definitely all local stuff, um, and I'm lucky to be from an area that I think had a lot of really cool local bands. Especially, obviously, Syracuse is right there, so. Um, at first was definitely like if hope dies um, and the spectrum's pretty broad. There was like this band called eyes averted for a while um, that I was super into. Um, let me think here, man, there's, there's so many found that hanging. Um, I was it, honestly early on, I was really into the more, the more extreme it was the more I liked it um, was super into grind and and stuff like that um, really early. Cause I didn't, you know, at 12, you don't know the difference. I'm just like, yeah, oh, this shit's all hardcore, you know? Um, hate breed for sure. Throwdown, that sort of stuff. You know, we're like early 2000s and then kind of over the next couple of years, once I sort of was able to develop a little bit of a taste, it was more like the all out war E-Town, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, once I sort of like got out of the more local shit, but even in the local days, I was definitely, uh, and especially as a kid, I, I couldn't really differentiate the sounds, you know?
0: Well, I think early on, there's an excitement. So you're not trying to, you know, you're not really going into, like, a record connoisseur at, like, 12 and 13. Right. you fucking yeah. psyched. I, I, I had a very similar mode in my head at 12 or 13, and I, I was getting exposed to black metal and death metal. And I remember that was like the first time I ever got real pushback. From my mom was like, "I don't know about all those goats in the background shit." Oh you know, yeah, like, man,
2: I had I had a lot of that going on. My mom yeah, would like, cut up cut up shirts and throw them away.
0: <laughs> I never had the cut up shirt, but I definitely got sent home a bunch for different t shirts, which my mom was kind of thought was funny. But uh, the opening a DSI Legion record with the fucking the satanic chant And the goat She was like Wait what the fuck are you Where did you go yeah. And I'm like I'm like yo bitch You know like You're out here Rocking Motley Crue <laughs> How the
2: fuck <laughs> Yeah man And I grew up in a in a You know Roman Catholic uh, Sort of mindset So You know Once I started Getting into extreme music That was like A total shock uh, for, for my sort of Like family And background And stuff So
0: What was the what was the first time you can recall traveling beyond Auburn and what was the show you traveled for?
2: The first one that comes to mind was going to Syracuse to see Throwdown and It Dies Today at uh, the Lost Horizon, which might have still been Planet 505 then. Um, and it was just totally insane. But I, I feel like I must have gone to some shows before that at Westcott Community Center, which is a pretty you know, notorious venue. Um, dude, honestly, so, so much of my early teen years, I, I got to see so many cool things that it becomes like a blur. <laughs> um, but yeah, between those two venues, I was going to stuff a lot. Uh, I distinctly remember that show. I distinctly remember going to Westcott community center and seeing all else failed and just having my mind blown. Um, So yeah, that, that, those two stick out for sure as being very early on, probably like 2004. Um, So not soon or or not long after I got involved, I guess, was I, was I traveling? Um, And then from there, within the next couple of years, I was going Buffalo, Erie, Rochester all the time. And the older I got, obviously the more, more into my like 16, you know, when I was 16, I dropped out of high school to play. I played drums in a band called sacred pledge um, and I dropped out to just tour. So that was that.
0: When did you start picking up the drums and what was the impetus for you to start playing?
2: Um, yeah, I started, I think I just started kind of like fucking around in the garage. I don't even remember where I got my first drums from. Um, and I just kind of like, you know, I, I, I wanted to play extreme music and I, and I, didn't have the opportunity to like get, uh, you know, guitar lessons or anything like that. So I just was, you know, I feel like you could figure out if you have any sort of rhythm at all, you could figure out how to play drums enough to like fuck around in your garage, you know? Um, and then, um, the kid that played drums in sacred pledge was in a really bad motorcycle accident. Uh, and I was like pretty much the only kid around that (laughs) that played drums. So uh, Shane, the singer, asked me to do it, and I did it. And and then within a couple months, I was <laughs> dropping out of school to get in the van and tour the country. So
0: it seems like this whole time, aside from the little bit of uh, satanic stuff, the, your parents have really chill, especially with playing drums at home. How did they feel when you're like, "Hey, I'm just going to go out and do this"?
2: Well, actually, so my parents were were split. Uh, okay. My dad wasn't. My dad was. I don't want to say my dad wasn't around, but he didn't live there. Um, I'm lucky in that sense. I, I, I come from, you know, my parents were split, but I'm not one of those people that has like two parents that don't give a shit about them. You know? Um, my mom wasn't really around, um, cause she was working two or three jobs. So once I was like even an early teenager, it was pretty much me and my younger brother at home alone all day. And just like around the neighborhood with like, we, we'd literally skate all over the city. Um, so it wasn't really so much. They were down with it as much as they didn't give a shit cause they weren't home. Uh, but, um, yeah, man, when I, when I dropped out, that was a, that was a huge, that was like, I mean, and I had been getting in trouble and shit anyway, you know, but, uh, yeah, my mom, I, my mom actually, they, they didn't even really know that I could play drums. They came to see me. They came to a show. My mom came to a show and it was like blown away that I could actually play. Um, and she tried to bribe me into going back to school with buying me a new drum set, <laughs> which she couldn't afford anyway. So, and I knew that, so I was like, nah, I'm good."
0: Now, for that time period, for those listening, obviously, if hope dies is a big deal. Trust kills a huge fucking deal, and I have to wonder what the what the not only just like that we talked about the hardcore scene, but what was like the socio political atmosphere for shows around the time because there was still obviously the Hellfest was still out in, in Syracuse, yep. but like, was there a lot of like the veganism politics at that time, or was it not really something you focused on?
2: Oh no. Yeah. I mean, my first band sacred pledge to pretty, pretty much the reason they asked me to join was because I was vegan at the time and we were a vegan straight edge band. And, and we, my group of friends was super influenced by earth crisis and path of resistance and another victim and, and like the, the kind of like older Syracuse guys. Um, that was like, kind of like our whole thing for a long, long time. Um, so yeah, I mean, shows, I would say, man, it seems like in small towns too, shit gets like hyper politicized. Um, yeah. You'd go to shows, any show in Auburn that you went to, there was table set up, which doesn't happen at all anymore, it seems. But I'm, I mean, obviously, you remember like tabling was like a huge thing, you know? Oh,
0: absolutely! It was the and, only way that I ever found out about veganism. Was a right. bunch of people with, like eagerly like pamphleting, like, "Hey, check this out! Check this out!" I bought this shit home. My mom's like, "What the fuck do you want me to do with this?"
1: <laughs> right?
2: Yeah, it's funny that that stuff doesn't happen anymore. Like, e- even and it wasn't just veganism, you know? Like, you you'd go and there'd be like. A, women's rights table set up or or like whatever it was um tabling is a thing of the past (laughs) completely um but yeah it, it was it was super political and and super violent too and 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 i think hardcore in general in that time was just violent but uh i think people think of like the big cities as like oh these are like this is where the crazy shit happens but there's crazy shit everywhere anywhere you know underground music is
0: No, I have to. I have to agree. I think sometimes the glamour and glitz of the big cities kind of always tapping themselves on the shoulders and having the bands that carry stories a little bit further. There's a lot of offbeat track places and what we would call like the B markets and the smaller towns where the real wild shit went down. Because you know this is what these kids do. You know, like I mean, the obvious first thing is Salt Lake and Reno for me, but like out east. Out east, some of the best shows ever that Punishment or Shadow Realm were playing in that time were always smaller towns, where the kids were going to come out, because what the fuck else are they going to do?
2: Exactly. And they were fucking
0: wild, throwing tables and chairs and shit.
2: Oh, yeah. I mean, dude, we, you know, there was a couple pretty notorious venues that no matter what who played didn't matter, there was going to be a fucking Royal Rumble at that show. People getting stabbed, <laughs> all sorts of crazy shit. Like, and it was normal. You know, it wasn't like a um, this happens every once in a while. I was like, you can expect this to happen tonight. Um, and that was all the time. So, yeah, I think that the, you know, and, and, and not necessarily just that it, it, because shit does happen in big cities too, you know, but, um, you know, the sort of like backwoods people, like you were saying, they've got nothing else going on. <laughs> so
0: when you stepped into the van for sacred pledge, did you know what you were signing up for?
2: I did as far as the guys that I was with, but, uh, that tour, that first one that that I ever did was with CDC and hoods oh, good Lord. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> yeah, I was not, I was, I was not ready for, uh, you know, the, the sort of like insanity that came with that. Um, and it was fun, you know, and, and luckily for, for us, they took good care of us, but, uh, you know, as a 16, I was younger than the other kids, too. They were all, like, you know, a few years older. And the age difference between 16 and, and 19 is is a lot, you know. Um, so, but yeah, it was, it was awesome.
0: How far, did, was this a whole U.S. tour or just, like, a leg of a tour? How, what was no. traveling like? Was it like, a, was it, like, a van where you guys were basically not making much money? Like, give us the rundown, like, what the first real tour for you felt like and what you guys were going through.
2: Yeah, so the, the first thing we did was we did a weekend to Pittsburgh, Erie, and I want to say Cleveland, but I can't remember the third one. And then we came home for a couple of days. And then we left for this tour where uh, CDC played Auburn, and then we got in the van and we did an entire, I want to say it was like maybe 12 days of just beach dates. So <laughs> it was like, you know, winter or like late fall or spring i can't remember some it was cold in upstate you know and we were all in one van um cdc and sacred pledge so nine or ten of us i think there was ten of us in one in john's van doing this
0: super cozy
2: oh dude it was and and you know they all got along but us fucking lunatics from upstate all hated each other so, <laughs> we, you know, our band members were literally like fighting in gas stations in Georgia, and, and poor John's trying to get people to calm down. We're just not having it. Uh, but uh, but yeah, yeah, that was the first one. Was, a, was That's like the best tour you could do, too, you know, like 12 days
0: of just beach shows. <laughs> nah, you couldn't really ask for anything more. Now, right. what was the deal with Sacred Pledge in general? Were they just, the idea was just like the to tour and do this. Like, what was like, stepping into it did you think like oh you know we're gonna go somewhere or was it just like let's just do this and have some fun
2: yeah you know you know for me i never um i never want i never cared to make money or or go anywhere with music i just wanted to go with my friends and do sketchy shit that's just what i was into um and you know i was always kind of like acutely aware of of the fact that you're playing to a very you know like niche market with especially like you know a vegan straight edge band and you know. So um yeah, it was more just about like going and having fun. And I just, you know, I was fucking I didn't give a fuck about anything. I wanted to get in the van and go and fucking steal shit from gas stations and do what we did, you know. So uh there wasn't any I never had a plan. I never had a like I wanna be a musician. I I I never even thought of myself as a musician. I was like, I'm a kid who plays drums, you know. Um
0: You guys are in the early two thousand mid two thousand now. Did you guys have a MySpace? <laughs> we did. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. We,
2: we had a MySpace. And, Fuck, yeah. And, uh, dude, I, I actually remember Mikey Hood's posted on, on the Hood's MySpace, like, yo, everybody go uh, friend Sacred Pledge and tell them that Mikey Hood sent you. And we would get messages, like, five years later. <laughs> it's like, yo, Mikey Hood sent us, <laughs> which is hilarious.
0: Now, was Prison City the... Uh, I like something that was from hardcore or was that yep. just the term for the area that you guys kind of brought into it? Like Philadelphia, like brotherly love, like what's the origin of prison city?
2: Yeah. So, so as far as I'm concerned, and as far as I know, we named Auburn, the prison city, like the hardcore kids did. We, we, that's what we, you know, every city at the time had a name, right? Like we're, you know, come to Buffalo, queen city, hardcore, whatever and uh and now it's funny because if you go to auburn there's like prison city brewery which is owned by a dude who's not a hardcore kid so, <laughs> so fucking so yeah. fucking weird like we left a, an impression in that way you know like there's a like a cover band from there called prison city rockers um and it's because at a time auburn was had a good scene you know there was a lot going on and and in, in, in a small town like that, that makes waves, you know, even if people are subconsciously hearing the name, it just kind of stuck. So, yeah, the, the middle of, of Auburn is a maximum security prison the do, in downtown. Um, so, yeah, it was just like that, you know, I grew up a few blocks from there, literally. So when you see that, it just kind of stuck. That's not, not that I'm the one that came up with the name, that's for sure. But um, yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, it's not a it's not a completely unique area, but it is interesting because you you hear less about Rochester and Ithaca and but there was a ton of stuff all in that area and there was tons of bands you know it wasn't that far from Albany which means it wasn't that far from Springfield mass yep. you know and, and I mean you're right down 81 from Pennsylvania. So even though you're further north than a lot of the northeast stuff, There was still, it seemed like, a lot of area that play. I remember we played a bunch of them small towns.
2: Yeah, there was, like, uh, I mean, and especially back before, like, I feel like the internet really took over, it wasn't uncommon for a band to play, like, Buffalo, Rochester, Auburn, Syracuse, Utica, like, in a row. Like, you could do a week of upstate towns, no problem, and they'd all be good. Um, Now it's like you would never do that, you know? (laughs) But back then bands did that frequently I feel
0: now where did was there a time over those couple of years where you think anything changed in the towns or did people stop going to shows like when because there's always a moment when you, you start doing these bands where everything's fun but then you have your first like time shift and things change a little bit do you remember when that was in that area
2: yeah I think for for Auburn, In a lot of ways, when Sacred Pledge broke up, that was kind of the death of of Auburn Hardcore. (laughs) Uh, A lot of people moved away. Like, a lot of us had beef with each other. People were going to jail. You know, like, a lot of shit just changed all at once. Um, And to be honest with you, I don't think there's been a Hardcore show in Auburn in in 10 years. I'd be shocked if there was. Um, As far as the rest of Upstate goes, you know, like certain venues closing and honestly just a kind of like a change in the culture in general um sort of shifted a lot of shows away um so like you know bands aren't really down to come play like a utica new york show you know it's like everybody wants to play philly they want to play brooklyn they want to play like buffalo toronto whatever um the days of playing kind of like the more backwoods towns are kind of over and uh you know there was a time when every utica show would have 400 kids no that's matter who awesome. played that's um, awesome and it's and they were crazy crazy shows but um i think in a lot of ways it's just the, the culture changed and 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 honestly like as as i think as hardcore has gotten a little bit more i don't really want to say commercialized but it's a it's it's less crazy now you know it's a lot more of a controlled environment i think the crazy people don't want to come around, and so like a lot of the people from upstate, like these backwoods fucking rednecks, were like lunatics. They don't want to come to shows. And no, you know, I can
0: I can see that just in some of the rural areas of South Jersey and other places where there was like unhinged people, and people today in hardcore are definitely not unhinged. Despite yeah, their it, despite their bands their band names and their tattoos, <laughs> it's a yeah, lot and, more and, homogeneously safe than it's ever been.
2: Right. And for better or for worse, you know, like a, I think there's more people than ever involved, it seems, but those people are in sort of like epicenters, you know, yeah. the kind of like you're saying, the days of like the like South Jersey or wherever, where you know, you used to be able to go to a show and there'd be 300 kids beating the shit out of each other. They're they're just not around um, for whatever reason. So,
0: so what did you do when the Auburn stuff and the end of Sacred Plays happened? Like, how did you stay within hardcore and what did you do?
2: So I kind of moved all over um, for a long time. I, I played in a death metal band for a while.
0: What was kind that of death metal like, band?
2: Uh, we were called As This Body, I Exist. I was like kind of a fit, permanent fill-in, um, But uh, actually, some of the best times I've ever had were with those guys. And, and very, uh, you know, just I, I was playing in a slam band before the kind of slam wave took over, you know? Um,
0: can, you, uh, can you break that down for me? Because I have this thought process. When you were playing in this band, were people actually calling it slam? Or is that like a retroactive oh. term for it?
2: At the time, people were calling everything Deathcore.
0: That's what I that's what I recall. And then someone started saying slam and I'm going, When the fuck did you guys just change so, the word?
2: <laughs> so and and here's my here's my argument for it. Before I joined the band, they were a deathcore band. They had a singer that was doing all sorts of goofy shit and whatever and and it was more along that line of this sort of like cheesy deathcore when i joined my vocals were not too far off from what i do in missing link um so to me that's more of like we were we turned into a slam band it was more you know like suffocation influence let's say than it would have been prior to that um you know, for for people that aren't super into death metal, I guess you know we're like splitting hairs, but <laughs> but yeah. So I did that for a while. I, I moved kind of all over the Northeast, and then I ended up in Pittsburgh um, for quite a while for for a couple years, twice. So
0: was it work or was it just college? Like, what what drove you to kind of get based out of Pittsburgh?
2: So I was I was close with uh, AJ from Path to Misery, who owns preserving. One of, my favorite, uh, one of
0: my favorite people at the yeah. shot that still haven't had him on the show uh
2: yeah so i was i was close with aj and 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 uh i knew him from sacred pledge days he he actually drove us around on a tour once which was hilarious like he brought fucking costumes with him and shit and, and all sorts <laughs> of stuff. like just a weird motherfucker you know Love but him. uh yeah so i was close with him and he introduced me to this girl that i started dating um, and I was like, dude, I mean, you know, I'm from a dead end town in upstate New York. I'm like, fuck it. I'll move to Pittsburgh. So I did that, you know, and lived there for a while and, and uh, was super involved in, in the scene there, you know, and at the time, Enemy Mind was still playing like, <laughs> you know, like townie bar VFW type shit. And I was at what all your, those What, what and, year
0: is this kind of centered around what we're talking about right now? Uh,
2: if I had to make a guess let's see i think i moved there first when i was like 19 so maybe 2009 2010 in that era um and yeah like unit 731 is still a band you know like pittsburgh beatdown is like the thing for me at that time um and there was a lot of cool shit going on and, and it wasn't really like popular by any means you know like you could go see these bands and there'd be like 20 kids there but i loved it and uh, so, yeah, that's how I kind of stayed in it. And then I ended up moving back upstate in like 2013 to Rochester, and I've been here ever
0: since. Now, I love the idea that you kind of broach the topic of Pittsburgh because I, I remember at that time, specifically, there was like Pittsburgh people being like, Philly never cared. It's like, well, you guys were in your own, like 400 miles away nearly, like, like in your own universe. Like, oh, yeah. I could get to almost Maine in the same drive to Pittsburgh or go to Richmond in the same thing. And I always felt like there was a Western Pennsylvania perspective that the Eastern PA people, like, had some shit with them. And it's like we never – you know, we I mean, in the late 90s, we were traveling to Clearwater and playing State College PA and doing all the stuff in Erie. But Pittsburgh kind of got locked onto – and I'm going to have you, AJ. I'm going to go deeper into this – Pittsburgh got locked onto that real heavy sound, which Obviously, they they love the term beatdown. I fucking despise it. So I hate, even, <laughs> I hate even fucking. I hate even fucking saying it because to me, like I I was I was young enough to be excited about hardcore when I found bulldoze, and I knew bulldoze before I knew what the band you know New York old New York hardcore band Crackdown is. But all the dudes from bulldoze, especially Kev One, R.I.P. Like, those dudes were really fans of, like, the legit Gorilla Biscuits, Judge, Crackdown, like, all that old school stuff they took in. And I've always felt, like, the beatdown era, it's hardcore, absolutely, to the T. There's no question that. But there's almost, like, this, I don't really care about that other stuff when it's, like, there still is that you need one for the other. You get what I'm saying?
2: Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. And 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 it's
0: funny, because I I was
2: acutely conscious of that we all are actually for the most part in missing link of being like, yeah, we're not going to say we're a beat down band because we're not, you know what I mean? Like we're, we're a heavy hardcore band.
0: (laughs) For me, I I just, and again, some of those Pennsylvania bands are finally getting their due, which is important. It's just, and again, the same thing, how many shows can bands from Western Pennsylvania play? You go up to Erie. There was a time when you could go to Wheeling, Virginia. You might be able to go out to Ohio, maybe as far out as like Fort Wayne, Indiana. You know, like it was really limited in that area. So I understand where the exposure for like the Unit 731 and ME Mind bands were. Right. And I remember, you know, I had a lot of friends. I mean, Jen and Brooke, who both work for This Is Hardcore at different times, they were from Pittsburgh. And they would just be like, yeah, you know, it's like, 40 or 50 kids and 10 people moshing and everybody against a wall trying to not get kicked. <laughs>
2: yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> so is that accurate? That kind of, that's oh, yeah. what it was like.
2: Oh yeah. Yeah. And, it, and it'd be like, I, I distinctly remember this enemy mind show that was at like a literal townie VFW, like where there's like townies at the bar drinking. And of course like a fight breaks out and you know, it kind of like the stereotypical story. But, uh, but yeah, there, there was plenty of shows where like, I think that, I think, and and this is a good thing, but I think people think of Enemy Mind and they think of the sets they had that were really crazy with tons of people there, you know? And uh, dude, there was a long time where they were not getting any love at all. Like it was almost like they were completely written off Um, because at that time, maybe that sound wasn't popular, you know? So- uh,
0: It was also, like I say, beyond the lack of popularity, which is really hard because, you know- in 2010, we had Bulldoze play the fest. But there was just a limited amount of people and a limited amount of bands doing it. Because that whole, every, you know, I know you, now you were talking about how many times, you I mean, how many years you've been playing in bands. You see a shift. Like there was a minute when the If Hope dies, Trust Guild Sound was big, you know. And then things shift. And then, hey, we're going to go over here and try to play like this style and so those 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 bands and those kids who were really affectionately loving that harder sound bands they kind of became their own nook and their own like little entrenched area that no one really fucked with until AJ inundated the kids from Code Orange into it and then when Code Orange really started spreading the, the word of all them bands now every young band out every young kid now if i had unit 731 or you know, built upon frustration, play the fest. Kids would go like, "Oh, this is the greatest bands," but they just didn't get their due at that time.
2: Right, exactly, and and that's why I'm saying, like, I think it's cool that now, at least, they're getting the credit at some point. You know,
0: <laughs> no, it's it's important thing, and uh, one of the things Richie Crutch loves to bring up is the fact that No Retreat Ball moved out there. He's like, Eastern PA made Western PA beat down.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I could hear him saying that.
0: <laughs> so where do you go? What do you do with bands at this point?
2: When I'm living in Pittsburgh? or Yeah,
0: like what were you like?
2: So I actually you... didn't play. I wasn't playing in anything. I, I was um, I was traveling around. I was doing like weekends with Eternal Sleep, actually. Um, awesome. Just like, you know, I, I, uh, Travis got me a job down there. Like I worked with him. I literally lived like a couple doors away in the same row house. Um, so I spent a lot of time with them and, and, you know, getting in trouble with them and, and having fun and playing hockey with Joe. So they did a lot for me actually when I lived there. So I'm, I'm grateful for them. Um, but yeah, other than that, I, that's pretty much what I was doing, just kind of like working and, kind of trying to figure out how to be an adult a little bit, you know? Um, And yeah, that was like the, probably the longest lull I took in playing music in general was, was that was while I was living in Pittsburgh.
0: When did you pick up and move or when did you pick up and join another band?
2: I moved back to New York in 2013 and it was like six months or eight months after being here, John, from cdc called me and asked me if i would fill in for a european tour um and i all i ever really wanted to do with music was make it to europe somehow so i fucking jumped at that opportunity and then started filling in on and off for them don't, for don't yada
0: yada through europe i want to hear some i want to hear how was it <laughs> how was it going from touring with those guys just to, to fronting them and how was it playing in europe with those guys
2: Well, so that actually that first tour that I ever did with them when I was 16, I filled in for them on that because Kalen left halfway through the tour to go to Disney world with his mom. That's not a joke. Which
0: is, which (laughs) I mean, that is the most Kalen shit possible. So I get it.
2: Yes. Um, so I'd filled in for him briefly before, but it was like literally spur of the moment. So this one was like, you know, I'm actually going to be filling in. Um, but it was great. You know, I, I always kept in contact with John and, and, and those guys and, uh, yeah it was cool i i i think that one was with world of pain too and um you know paul plays in missing link so that's really how this whole thing sort of started was doing that european tour Um, but yeah we went over and it it was all that was that was a killer tour and you know I, i i remember having this moment in paris where i woke up before everybody and i walked down to like this little stone road and i'm eating gelato by myself and it's like sunny and 70 and i'm like You know, I'm some poor kid from upstate New York that's eating gelato in the sunshine in Paris or barking into a microphone like an idiot, you know? Like (laughs) it's gotta it's it's it can be I think a lot of people don't appreciate that sort of stuff, you know. So
0: Well, I actually love that you said they don't appreciate it or they don't understand that I I said this literally we were talking about it um we just did them shows in Florida. This is a blessing. To be able to go from no avenue of leaving a hometown to you joining this band, Sacred Pledge, and traveling, and then meeting friends who later you would travel in Europe with, the synchronicity of hardcore allows you these opportunities. And we're all fucking blessed to be able to jump in these vans and do these things that just give us a bigger world perspective and viewpoint. And I think sometimes in hardcore today, Everyone runs to Twitter to post their little victories. Like, I'm so proud of myself for playing with a band that I, you know, heard on Spotify or whatever fucking stupid diatribe they go on about how cool it is to do something when it's like, this whole fucking thing is cool. Because if we didn't do this cool thing, we'd just be fucking regular ass fucking people. And instead, we're just fucked up by this music and given these awesome opportunities.
2: Yeah, for sure. And it's, it's, you know, I do, I think a lot of people, you know, not that I'm old, but I'm, I'm 31. A lot of people younger than I am don't have any sort of appreciation for it, like at all. And, and I think part of it is a lot of them come from a different background. You know, like if you would have told me as a kid that I would ever make it to Europe, I'd have told you you were crazy, you know? Um, and I think a lot of these kids are like rich kids, honestly. And they, they're like, yeah, I could just fly to Europe today if I felt like it. Um, and I think that that little bit of a difference sort of like doesn't allow them to appreciate it in the same way.
0: So because you came from Auburn, because your parents are split up, I think you can relate to this. But like in Philadelphia, you, I say this a million times on the podcast for all the listeners, like, oh, here he goes, most Philadelphians either go up the mountains or down the shore. You might have a family who goes to Disneyland. You know, that's about it. Most Philadelphians... I have cousins who never even went to some parts of the actual city. And they, you know, this is what it is. And it's it's hard for me at times because I don't want to be such a naysayer or curmudgeon about the newer generation of hardcore. But I think they really don't get what the blessing is, that you can just be some regular average person in a small town and travel the fucking world because of this music. So it's really awesome to hear that you understand that.
2: Yeah, yeah, no, I, I think it, it's there's a reason that I still do it, you know. And I think that because uh, you know, honestly, I lose a shit ton of money to do it all the time. <laughs> I could <laughs> just, truth. I could just stay home and work, and you know, and and enjoy my family. And but I love doing it, and and you know, I feel grateful to have have had it this whole time and to still be able to do it and, you know, still be playing in bands that people, at least some, I give a shit about. So.
0: So you do this European tour and then what comes next?
2: Let me think here, man.
0: I'll go. I we like to go in.
2: <laughs> yeah. I, honestly, I don't fucking remember.
0: <laughs> uh, so it's around 2013.
2: Yeah. That was like 2013 or 14. And I think that I did,
0: Oh, well, here, let me give you a segue then. So, the yeah. 2013 or 14, and you're living in western Pennsylvania, correct?
2: Nope, I'm living back in upstate Oh, Rochester. that's right, you moved
0: to, yeah, so you moved to Rochester. So, yep. what was hardcore like in Rochester in 2014? And did you, did you start seeing some of I remember, I remember we played Donnie Brooks had a Realm Tour. We played in Rochester, and I remember there started being that skate park that was having shows. Was the scene still, like, kind of reviving or new people coming into it?
2: Yeah, not really. I mean, honestly, mid to late 2000s, we kind of beat up everybody that came to shows. <laughs> so there wasn't a lot of and, and that's not a good thing, you know, but <laughs> there, there wasn't a lot of people left. Um, and here, the thing that's big now and, and ever since I moved back is like mall metal. Um you know, that's can the you shit.
0: Name, can you name a band so I have an understanding? Because I call so much shit mall metal, it's retarded.
2: Yeah, I'm thinking, like, Attila, like, you know. Like, yeah,
0: right? yeah, 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 we're on the same page. Yep, Yeah, Absolutely. so
2: there's definitely a group of hardcore kids that have been around forever. Um, and, like, you know, you could go to a show, and it might be 50 kids. You can go to a show, it might be 300 kids. But uh, it just, I think, depends on who's playing and whatever. But, but as far as, like, a real deal... Hardcore scene, there isn't much of one left here, like at all. The only real, there's only a couple real hardcore bands. Borrowed Time is like the one that you know was on Reaper Records and shit early 2000s, and Brendan plays in, in sheer terror now and whatever. But uh, yeah, there's only a couple, and, and that's been the case ever since I moved back. Um, so yeah, there isn't a lot going on as far as like real hardcore. There's a big punk scene here, but uh, but Punk kids and hardcore kids here don't get along, so.
0: (laughs) So what were you doing when you moved back there, aside from doing that? Like, what did you – were you traveling? Like, what were you doing just focus on work? Like, what were you up to then?
2: Yeah, so I got a job. The reason that I even moved here was I just didn't want to move back to Auburn. Um, And I got a job working at a bar doing security that kind of all my friends worked at. It was kind of like – every. it was almost like every hardcore kid I knew from Rochester worked there that I was cool with anyway. Um, and I still fucking work there. So, but, uh, but yeah, I was just doing that and kind of like, you know, being a normal set. Well, normal for me, I guess, early twenties dude, um, traveling around when I could, but mostly, you know, hanging out with my friends, getting into trouble, fucking working. It's about it.
0: Now. What was the, is, is there anything activity wise that you were doing that get you want to get back into bands? Like, w- like how long do you go without playing? And what was the impetus to get you playing? And then whatever the next thing that comes up?
2: Well, I always wanted to be in bands, um, but finding members is not easy to do. Um, especially, and when especially you beat up the whole town. Well, <laughs> <laughs> I don't even want to say it was me but you know, there, there was, you know, a long history of, you know, people from all over upstate that, that don't really get along with each other. But uh, um, for the most part now, everyone's cool. So that's good. But, uh, but yeah, there, you know, it, it was a matter of like one, you and I'm sure that, you know, you know how it goes. It's like, yeah, I want to start a band. Okay. Well, fuck, I don't play guitar. Uh, You know, I can play drums, but I don't have drums. (laughs) You know, it's one of those deals. So, Um, And every time I would try, I would just be like, I don't know, some kid would like write something. I'd be like, this shit sucks. I don't want to do this, you know, or, or whatever the case was, Um, or just, you know, wouldn't it would fall apart. And, you know, my cousin Dustin, who I mentioned earlier, I, you know, I've always wanted to do bands with him and he lives in Buffalo. And for whatever reason, it's just never worked out. But, um, but my, my interest in hardcore never waned, you know, it was just like, I'm just as happy maybe more happy to be a consumer than I am to be playing it at oftentimes. Um, so, I, yeah.
0: I agree with that. I agree with I think sometimes watching a band and just being in the moment of that band sometimes is a lot more fun. I mean, I can tell you, especially in the last couple of years, there's bands like for me, seeing Mindforce just go from being like, Oh cool, this is a cool new band to like the younger kids really getting it. But not really realizing that like if you if you're fucking with my Force, that means you can fuck with some leeway. There's some bands that play now that really when they get on stage, I know it's gonna be exciting. And it doesn't make me go, I wanna get up there too. I'm like, no, nah, I wanna be in the front or I wanna see this. This is exciting it's exciting to just be still a part of it without having to feel like you need to get on the stage. I, I relate to that.
2: Yeah, and and, and I I really enjoy playing shows, but, you know, the, the, everything else that goes into a band is not my favorite, you know, even as far as like now at this point, sometimes like traveling is, is, can be daunting for me. Um, but there, you know, at, at the same time, it's like, it, it's never going to change the way I feel when I put on a record or if I see one of my favorite bands, you know, um, that is, I feel the same now as I did when I was a kid, for sure. Especially the first time I see a band, that's like, you know, as exciting for me now as that. So,
0: yeah, I, I, and maybe you can agree with this, especially with the, you know, you know, because we did bring up MySpace. It's one thing to check a band out with those digital click ones from MySpace, but I think there's so many bands that sound insanely great live, uh, not live, but on the Bandcamp or on the Spotify or whatever digitally. And I need to see them live to see if they can pull it off. You know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. And I always, and I, always <laughs> I always get excited when a band delivers, you know, whether it's, i seen that band Wild Side, Mind Force was one of them. There's a ton of bands that I hear if someone puts me on to and I'm like, nah, I need to see this, to, you know, to see if these guys got it. And it's always exciting when the band carries over that same energy live.
2: Yeah, for sure. And I think, you know, the other thing too about, hardcore especially now is like a band might come out with a record but if it if it if you go to see them live and it's not intense at all and, and you're like oh okay you're you know you wrote this record but like do you really mean any of this shit that you're talking about at all you know it like it'll kill the band so sometimes i'm like i don't maybe i don't want to see this band
0: so this is a this is a cool little tangent we can go on so like in Annette- a in different stages, everybody in hardcore is like fouled a pattern or they were the band that kind of created the pattern. So like around the time of like 86 to 88, there was this huge explosion in straight edge bands. There were some amazing ones, you know, like the legendaries, Youth of the Day, Gorilla Biscuits, yada, yada, yada. But there was a ton of like not fucking great bands. And, you know, they were like the C team. And then I remember in the 90s, the same thing. There was this, this like but it was obviously the longer Hardcore's around, the more prevalent it is. There's this group that sound like this heavy straight edge thing, and there's a couple really good ones, and there's a couple really shitty ones. And then there was like the mid to late 90s youth crew um, return. Some of them were fucking fantastic. Some of them were ass. And I've always wondered if because everybody is between, you know, the ages of like 16 to 25, so to speak, in these bands – some of these people are feeling it or some of these people are just kind of like I love these kind of bands so I'm just going to follow this motif and I feel like the bands that are just following the motif you like the aesthetic you might they may even have some cool ideas but since they're just following a pattern or just filling you know following the rules so to speak it just always falls flatter than something that's just out, outside those boxes even if they include elements of the box I always like when a band doesn't you know they're not cookie cutter you know
2: for sure. Yeah. I think, you know, the, my, my, most of my favorite records don't sound anything like each other, like not even remotely close, you know? And I just, I mean, you, you, you saying that reminds me of like, I remember the first time I heard trapped under ice and I was like, wow, this is completely different than what's popular at that moment in time. You know, like at least what I was listening to, that's for sure. Um, you know, Um, um,
0: same thing. I felt the same way. Like, okay.
2: When that demo came out, that blew my fucking mind. Like I, I, it was just so completely different than, I mean, what year was that? 2007. Yes. It's like, yeah, it's like, okay. Every band is a deathcore band or like, you know what, even, even the hardcore shit that was coming out, it just didn't sound like that and, and didn't capture what they captured on that you know, demo even before even stay cold, you know, um, at least for me. So I, I definitely think you're right. You know, there's like, it's, it, you can't replace those moments, you know, when a band just is going to do whatever they want to do and they don't give a fuck about what sound is happening right now.
0: Yeah. No, I, I feel like there was a lot of cool stuff happening in the middle of the two thousands because there's, they drop everyone else dropped the playbook. You know, and I mean, I'm not a super ceremony fan musically, like, listening to, but standing on stage and watching them play, they were like, oh, we're going to do something completely different. Um, I said the same thing, you know, the band from Texas, Far From Breaking, became Iron Age. Iron Age went the same way. Trapped and Rice went the same way. And that's what, and I mean, later on, Blacklisted would go away from the more standardized hardcore as their first two things to do the same thing. I think there needed to be bands doing different stuff at that time to kind of shake things up. And it makes things exciting again because there are so many people that just want to get on stage, and I don't blame them. I mean, there's a ton of people's favorite bands who are just like, let's just get on stage and do this, and then they break up, and then they can become old men and have kids. Right. But it is cool when a band does something that diverges from the path and they stick out for a really long time, you know?
2: Yeah, I think that those are the – those. I think you could tell when a record is genuine, you know, and, in and when, at least when whoever was the brain behind that record is genuine too. Um, and there's a lot of, you know, think about how, how many bands came out after that that said, let's start a band like trap under ice, or, you know, they hear whatever. And they're like, let's start a band that sounds like that. And it's like, it's one thing to be influenced, but it's another thing to be like, I'm going to try to replicate what they did. And uh, you know, if, if, you can't do it. You know, you're not them. And, and, and honestly, that's often why I feel more connected as a consumer to of hardcore than as somebody who plays it. Cause I'm like, dude, I'm never going to write peace and security. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like I'm never going to write in the eyes of the Lord or, or like any of any of my favorite records. I relate to them more than I relate to the shit that I write.
0: The older I get, the more I, I, I know that, There was a vehicle in punishment to tour and get out of Philadelphia. Kind of in the same way you were talking about just being like at the right time to be able to do CDC. I was at the right time to fill the shoes in from Shadow Realm. And the first time I got asked, it was just like we said, like, hey, you want to go to Europe? And I'm like, fuck no. The van just died. I got a job. I'm not doing this shit. So the second time around, I'm like, you know what? Fuck it. I'll do the Shadow Realm stuff. But I've never – maybe it's imposter syndrome. Maybe it's just, like, it's more fun to be a fan. You know, like, I'll always love seeing Alt-War Death Threat way more than I'll ever love getting on stage and performing anything just because of how much the music means to me and how many times those records played when shit wasn't great or sometimes you need to pick me up. You know what I mean? Yeah,
2: absolutely. And I think it's hard to – I think it's easier to relate to other people's art than it is to your own. You know, it, it, you could read something that you didn't write, but your brain will warp it into how you feel about it. You know what I mean? Not what the person that wrote it feels about it. So, it, it and it's hard to capture exactly what you're trying to on your own, I think. So that might be a little bit, and you're you're right, it might be some imposter syndrome type stuff going on, but I just think, you know, The, the, I don't think I'll ever write a missing link record, let's say, and go, Wow, I, I love this as much as I love Spit My Last Breath.
0: Well, I think impactfully, what will I, to me, I watched Missing Link in Detroit, and I was just like, This is what all these young hardcore bands are missing. Like, and, and it's just because of the era that I came up, there really wasn't. Like a five foot eight, no weight on her body singer, out here going, "Come on, you motherfuckers, move it!" and saying all this goofball shit, like it was terrifying grown men with beards and face tattoos, <laughs> scary dudes. And um, I remember it was like you guys and then D Block back to back. I'm like, "All right, these are the and like I was like, this actually is the kind of bands that would open for Shatterzone when we would tour in the 2000s. You know, like. This is yeah, the people, sure. this is the bands that we played alongside. And there is not just an aesthetic, but you want, you want the band to overpower you. Your, vo- your vocals definitely overpowered. The The songs are fucking incredible. And I think there's a validity that needs to come from people who aren't just waking up one day and going, you know, I want to play in a hard band, man. I want to play in a band that looks hard and sounds hard, you know? And, and it, it's a silly thing, especially at our age, to talk about it, but it's like there are people that look to that effect. They look for that aesthetic when sometimes it's just what you want to do in a band, you know? Like I've I've always loved Fast, Straight, Edge, Hardcore. I've always been like, man, it'd be cool to be in one of the bands, but how the fuck am I going to pull that off? You know, I ain't jumping in the air. I'm not- <laughs> right, right. <laughs> I, I've, I always X up when I play, but you'll never see me you'll never see me saying some overly goofy, positive shit, you know, or faking the funk on it or making some cheesy lyrics up, you know, but aesthetically I've always loved that era, you know, like I, I, but I would never want to fake the funk on it.
2: Right. Yeah. Cause it's like, you know, you're a fan of, of what it is, but that doesn't mean that it's you, you know, like, and that's, you know, I fucking love the Rolling Stones, but I'm not going to dress like Mick Jagger.
0: (laughs) Nah. No, no one's got <laughs> no one's got the swag like Mick Jagger to be honest. <laughs> so, in this time period, because you're working and just trying to be a normal person, what were the things you were doing to stay connected with your heart? Are you still buying records? You're still in touch? with Whatever. Obviously, the internet. Oh yeah. The internet yeah. is no longer MySpace. We're at Facebook and Instagram at this point. But like, it's cool to see that even when you weren't playing in a band, you were still cognizant. And a lot. And I know you know this because. <laughs> there's so many people that once their bands over, they're like, all right, it's over. Mop all yeah, no. this shit or get rid of all this shit. It's cool that even when you weren't active in a band, you were still involved in supporting the other bands.
2: Yeah. I mean, I was, you know, I was definitely buying records and dude, I actually had a moment in that, that time frame where my entire record collection got destroyed twice. Fuck. Um, cause I had a shitty landlord and my, my roof collapsed in my bedroom and just wrecked it twice. Like, that was like the most broken i think i've ever felt like you know demos and seven inches i collected since i was a kid um just gone you know just literally ruined but uh but yeah i was still buying records and and there's a couple actually dope record stores here still going to shows still traveling all over for shows um yeah i I was still doing the same thing you know because i i'm primarily a fan of of you know the shit that i like so um yeah, I was mostly doing that. And, and, uh, and kind of like, honestly, once you get some money, you can really start to travel to some cool shit. So, you know, made a couple of This Is Hardcore runs and <laughs> that sort of thing. But, uh, yeah, that was pretty much it during that time period, honestly, just working and, and going to shows and, you know, listening to the same records I've been listening to my whole life, I guess.
0: Isn't that funny? You go on tours when you're a kid, when you have all the free time in the world, but you don't have the money to buy a good meal or to do the extra shit. Then you get older and you have the money to do the extra shit, but you don't have the free time.
2: Dude. I got to tell you, that's the best part about missing link is we all have money now. (laughs) We're all like, fuck it. We'll get a nice hotel room. We'll fucking eat whatever the fuck we want. Like that's the, the absolute best part about us as a group traveling together is that we all work, you know, good jobs at this point in our lives. And, and are able to like kind of not have to, I mean, dude, sacred pledge days. We, we literally stole everything we had. Fuck. Yeah. So even though that sounds fun now, it's like, it's, it's better to just buy it.
0: <laughs> Would you ever even back in the hood time, were you guys ever stealing gas or was that over? Oh, over?
2: Fuck. Yeah. We were, dude, listen,
0: <laughs> there was a,
2: <laughs> a, a country fair. And I feel like I, I could almost tell you the address in Erie, Pennsylvania that we would stop at every single time we were even passing through to steal gas. <laughs> like we blew the spot up
0: bad. <laughs> That's fucking amazing. me. I tell kids, I'm like, yeah, we used to steal gas. And then they're like, wait, what? <laughs> you oh, know, yeah. it's like,
2: dude, we, we, it, it got to the point where like we were playing games, you know, like it, it was like fun. Like we became like kleptos at a certain point and we were doing, you know, all sorts of dumb shit.
0: Now, when you when you are talking about this time period, did you fuck around with any projects? Like, what were you doing, anything musically at all? Like, when was your next actual musical project?
2: I think my next actual musical project is Missing Link. Because I was still doing CDC, like, filling in, you know, whenever.
0: So did that, you do I, any of those really weird-ass countries in the third world's? Did you go to Africa? Did you do any of
2: that shit? No, or... no, that was all before me. Unfortunately, I guess uh, John didn't like me that much. But uh...
0: you were like the string, <laughs> all right, John.
2: Dude, I, right. I'm quite literally—I was quite literally the C string. Um, but no, I did. You know, we—I I did Europe twice, actually. Um, and you know, I'm—I'm, I'm, dude, I, I'm so grateful for that alone. That you know. We we had talked about doing South America a bunch of times, but it, it never worked out. Then we were supposed to leave for a really long European run when COVID hit, uh, and that was yeah. I never played a show with them again. Um, but uh, so are you yeah. still in
0: the are you still in the bullpen if they need to do are they doing a tour or what?
2: No, nah, I mean Brooks doing it again.
0: This motherfucking John.
2: <laughs> no, I, I mean, dude, I he 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 actually. In John's defense, he hit me up about doing those shows that they did recently before Brooke was doing them again, and I was just like, dude, I, I'm so – I mean, I own a business, and between that and Missing Link, and my, I got a three-year-old, it's like I just can't be taking time to kind of like fill in, you know, and there was never – we were never going to write a record, you know, and and I always did the CDC stuff because I just loved those dudes and, and was always grateful for them, Um Is it the, you know, was it like my favorite band ever? No, you know, like, but uh, it was fun. You know what I mean? And and like you were saying before, like some guys just like, they just want to get on stage and have fun with their band. It's like, that was CDC for me, 100%. I didn't have to care about anything. I just show up, play, sing someone else's songs, get off the stage and hang out.
0: So when you, when you started Missing Link, were you asked to join? Or were you, like, how did you link up with the people to make Missing Link happen?
2: Yeah, I was asked to join. So I knew Paul for a long time, the drummer. Um, like, we lived in Buffalo at the same time for a while. Um, and he had just been playing a band. You know, we're both from upstate. He's from Albany, so. And uh, I knew Victor, the the one guitar player who now plays bass for since we were, like, teenagers, too, just from him coming to shows upstate and stuff. So, Um they had victor kind of had like a weird version of what ended up becoming the first demo kicking around and then he kind of sent it to paul and our guitar player evan who played in uh separated um and yeah they 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 kind of rewrote it and then they sent it to me like hey are you interested in doing this i was like sure Went and recorded with a kid here by myself basically and and that was the first release so And that was during COVID that was like right after the the shutdown of COVID.
0: So then when you pick things up, how many shows did you guys play before we saw each other in Detroit?
2: That was our second show. Oh shit. Yep. Yeah. So we played one before that. I booked a benefit show here. That was our first show. Um, And then, yeah, that show that you saw us at, that was our second show.
0: I think that has fucked my entire mind up because (laughs) you guys were absolutely fucking solid as a unit. And that's not, not as the kids would say, that's not capping, that's honest.
2: No, I mean, you know, I think, you know, what's even crazier is we don't practice. (laughs) Uh,
0: What do you guys (laughs) know?
2: Dude, well, you know, three of them live in, on long Island. Paul lives in Florida and I live here. So usually if, you know, if we have a a couple shows coming up, we'll try and get together early to practice once. But, um, no, man, I think that they're honestly, they're all really good musicians. Um, all of them are, are really, really good musicians. And, um, you know, I think that not to toot my own horn, but the thing that I can bring is intensity. So I don't really have to be that great if I, if I can be intense, I think so. Uh, so yeah, we've only, honestly, I somebody just said the other day, like they think, I think Evan was like, I think this is our like 11th show. I was like, dude, I feel like have been doing this shitty ass band for 20 fucking years now.
0: Yeah, the fucking COVID pulled all the time into a different universe. Yeah, man. So going off of, going off of that, you start the band with a, hey, let's have fun or like a, hey, we should really try to do something with this. What was the mindset?
2: so at first their first idea was we just want to start something that's fun and and ignorant basically and i think what ended up happening was they sent me the songs and it it wasn't as ignorant as they as it was planned to be um well i mean even the name of the band is missing link like the whole concept was we're the people in between cavemen and humans yeah (laughs) but uh (laughs) But, you know, I think that I hadn't played in a band in, in so long and I had never sang in a band that I got to write for. So I got handed this demo and I was like, oh, I'm, I'm going to write what I want to write. And, and it's going to be serious to me, even if other people think it's goofy. I don't give a fuck. Um, and then I think what ended up happening was we played a couple shows and and the the feedback was so overwhelmingly positive, even for people that never heard the recordings. um that it kind of just shifted into being more serious very quickly. Um, and then once we sat down to write the new record, I was like, oh, wait, these are like real songs now. We, you know, this is not, um, this is not the same thing anymore. So, which I think is cool, but.
0: Now you, we, ha- we, obviously we have you on, in this episode, we played Psalms to, to stone yep, and, This is going to come out on Never Run, Never Will. And it's interesting that you're saying, like, oh, you know, it's obviously the missing link. To me, I I thought there was a a double entendre there, like the missing link for me when I was thinking about it. I'm like, this is the kind of band that should be playing this hard style is how I took it. Like, this isn't some, like, little kids, like, you know, they're not LARPing. It's not cosplaying. These are some fucking grown-ass man doing this shit. And the sound is as authentic as fuck. The live presence is absolutely outstanding. And I'm really excited for what you guys are trying to do.
2: Thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah, I, I actually never thought of that before, but that's what I'm going to roll with from now
0: on. <laughs> <laughs> so did you guys have any rollout plans or tours you guys are going to be working on? Like, what is... I Obviously, Killer's got stuff going on, but, like, what is the modus operandi for getting missing link and this record moving forward
2: yeah so right now we've got we just played a couple we just played uh snow and flurry out in minnesota which was sick dude it was fucking all aw- it, it was the worst travel experience of my life but the show was fucking awesome made it all worth it um and uh yeah we're playing chicago this weekend so i'm going back to the midwest i'm driving this time so i don't have to deal with these shitty ass airlines um to play with Risk Purgatory's last show, karma, sector. So that'll be pretty cool. Um, and then we're playing Keystone Jam. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. So we've got a lot of stuff coming up. We're playing FYA pre-show. Um, we don't have any like specific tours booked yet. There's been some stuff that we've been talking about, but dude, it's a little bit hard to sell yourself for a tour when you don't have a record.
0: <laughs> yeah.
2: So really, I think my hope is that when we drop the record, hopefully it gets some ears on it and, and some people are, are uh, you know, we we've, we've gotten a bigger push than I ever kind of imagined we would anyway. Um, but you know, that'll be, I think once somebody who vouches for us has something to hand someone else, you know, like a, Hey, this band's sick and listen to this song or something like that, that, that really helps. Um, so I'm sure that we'll have some stuff coming up, you know, definitely 2023. Cause it, the rest of this year is seemingly, you know, over at this point. Um, but yeah, I'm, I mean, dude, I, my hope is to fucking do whatever we can get. You know, uh, I'm the days of me doing thirty day tours are are well over. You know, but I
0: actually, uh, I actually think strategically, unless you're a band who wants to build what I lovingly and not lovingly call pro core resume. You can get the same amount of interest stoked by doing well-planned two and three-day runs in certain areas and by word of mouth, AKA the internet versus just going on that tour where you're playing in the middle of nowhere, like we used to do, you know what And I mean? that's
2: the plan. Yeah. The plan is for me, the thing that I really enjoy doing honestly is weekends. It's the perfect amount of time. I, I don't really want to kill everybody in my band usually by the end of it. Um, You know, the the thing with my band is we literally all hate each other. (laughs) So, we're, we, there's a a theme
0: becoming presence in you in these bands.
2: uh, You know, what's funny is the first one I didn't argue with anybody, I was the one everybody got along with. This one, holy dude, we're, we're like, when we're together, we're fine. Our group chat is like fucking divorced for it, bro. It's, it's crazy. But, uh, but yeah, hopefully we'll have some shit coming up in the new year. I'm, I'm sure that we will. And I'm sure we'll have some good stuff some good stuff coming, you know, I, I really think, I really believe that this record will be received well. So, um, so yeah, we'll see.
0: So what do you do besides missing link right now?
2: So I'm a barber. I'm on my own shop uh, called glory days here in, here in Rochester. Uh, I'm a dad. I'm a husband, homeowner. I don't know. Kind of live in the, <laughs> the borderline suburban life at this point. Um, yeah, honestly that that's about it. I, I you know I try and try and do what I can and most of my life revolves around work and, and uh, you know kind of trying to uh, yeah, have a, have a good life, give my kid a better life than I had, you know.
0: How was it walking into fatherhood?
2: Very bizarre. We, my wife and I, planned to have a kid, which I think a lot of people don't do in this age. Yeah, we, we, yeah, I really, I really wanted to have a kid, and um, even still, it's incredibly challenging and difficult with having saved up money to do it, and you know everything else. Um, yeah, it's awesome. I see a lot of he looks just like my wife and acts just like me, so I'm I'm in for some trouble already. He's he is very defiant. Um, but uh, you know, it's, it's kind of endearing, you know, to have a kid that already has like a punk attitude, (laughs) but, uh, but it's cool, man. I think that, um, I think that so many people, not even just like younger kids, but so many people in hardcore kind of like preach this sort of like fuck it attitude, like dude, whatever, man, you know, like just work some fucking, don't make any money, live in a shithole apartment your whole life. And like, that's the one thing that I love about your podcast and specific is you're like, no, I'm, I'm a fucking union worker. Like I, I go and work and fucking, you know, like you, you not only have that ethic, but I feel like you promote that ethic too. And uh, so many people in hardcore don't. And uh, you know, for whatever reason, I, that's me. I, I, I worked for a union. Actually, when I dropped out of high school, whenever I came back from touring, I was a factory worker for a bit in a union and what, like what were, and you, I uh,
0: what were you fabricating in the union or like what was in the factory that you were ever doing? Yeah,
2: we were, I, I worked for this company called uh, Owens, Illinois, which my mom actually still works there. Um, it's uh, the biggest glass manufacturer in the world for like glass bottles. So everything from pickle jars to fucking baby food jars, um, beer bottles, all sorts of stuff.
0: So when I was younger, I, I had a step out of, like, a normal high school education. I was never really going to be cut out for high school, not because I was retarded, but because the, the city had just completely depleted any real assets. And my history of being a long hair in a hood school meant I got into a lot of fights, and I wasn't going to be able to go to the good kid's school even though I had the grades. So um, being a father literally, like, right... At 16 years old, going to work was what was going to have to happen. And a couple times before I really got settled in a, in a true trade, I had the opportunity to work in three separate factories. And two out of three of them are now lofts and condos, still in the middle of a fucking war zone. But in 10 years, they'll look lovely, and the whole neighborhood will be perfect.
1: Yep. Yeah. And
0: a lot of, and a lot of, and I, and I go on this tangent to say that a lot of younger kids really don't grasp what it means to get up and go to work in something like a factory where you're standing in an elevator, you hear it go up, you get off to your floor, and with the exception of your break or maybe going to the bathroom, you're an automated part of a system just fabricating shit and, it's a weird job, the kind of sedentary. I worked in a factory where they were cutting pieces of garments out, that was the first one. The other one was a steel factory where we were building pieces that would eventually become part of some form of newspaper racks. So basically every, I would say like every three seconds I was hitting my foot and this thing would bend this metal and I would make stacks. And my ADHD was so bad, but it was just something to do. And my dad's like, look, you got to get a job. I think there was a weird-ass lesson in it. They're like, this is what we do. This is where we come from. It's not pretty, but it's a paycheck. And if you don't like your paycheck, get yourself into something and learn it. And throughout all the time that I toured, I was able to walk up to a boss and say, hey, I'm going on tour. If you want, when I come home, I'll come back. Somebody said, you know, a couple times like, oh, you can't keep doing this. And I'm like, well, I'm going to keep doing it. And throughout yep. throughout my career, became, before I became a union concrete worker, I worked in stucco with crazy Irish people. I helped build houses. I worked as a laborer for a concrete companies. I eventually, through my family's trade, my father, his brothers were all uh, cabinet makers, non-union cabinet makers, custom woodworkers. I learned that trade pretty proficiently. Then the issue was the cabinet maker part of the Philadelphia Carpenters Union was pretty small and they weren't able to get the factories that we were working at to become union. So I was building stuff for stuff like Burlington Coat Factory and Movado Watch, non union. And all this has taught me the value that there is no tour where you're gonna where you're gonna go on tour for five days and get paid nine hundred dollars at the end of the week it's never happened for me ever yep. and <laughs> when i was building movado watches table like their kiosk for a mall we would get paid x amount in overtime and we would get cash bonuses if we worked 60 hour weeks so i was working 60 hour weeks at 23 years old and making money and and, and that the lesson was like look this is what the fuck you got to do you know even yep. when i had a, my side business with my father and we were working at a woodworking place called Counterattacks. We were making countertops and kitchen stuff. We still had our own side business on the weekend, and we were doing stuff. The impetus was like, look, this is how you get money, man. And I don't want people to think that you can write a record, and you're going to go on tour, and all your bills are going to be taken, and your family's going to be taken care of, because it's just it's a fantasy. There's so few people that do it and have done it successfully with just music alone. That really, this is a working class... I mean, hardcore punk is still a working class thing, for better or worse. But this music is made and through working class people. And there's no reason to feel ashamed that you pour concrete. Or if you're an iron worker, or a pipe fitter, or whatever the fuck. Even a barber. I have so many awesome friends. And and barbering is a true craft. And it is a trade. And I think people need to go back to working with their hands... And realizing that there is not only an aesthetic beauty in a work that's complete, but there's a value in getting up and going to work every day and knowing that you can help provide for your family. And it also keeps you mentally healthy, in my opinion.
2: Oh, yeah. I mean, that you know, I definitely learned that lesson. You know, I was working and when I worked for the union, it was 12 hour days minimum. 120 degrees on the floor every single day I worked three on four off four on three off if I didn't get mandated and I never had money in my life you know until I worked that job and my first year I volunteered to work so much overtime that I made 60 grand and 60 grand when you've you know that's like a house in Auburn at that time. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, I, and I fucking did, of course what any poor kid would do. And I bought fucking cars and motorcycles and, yeah, and had fun. let my friends live in my house for free. And I did all the dumb shit you could possibly do. And, and then I had to, you know, but my whole family is all everyone. My, all of my grandparents, all factory workers, both my parents are still factory workers. Um, and, uh, yeah, you know, that set me up to even, even now, I mean, dude, I've been living in Rochester for 10 years and I've worked two jobs the entire time. I own my own business. I still work a second job because it's like, you you know, you're, if you're not handed that stuff, do you just think you're, you know, I want to be rich. I I, I don't make any qualms about it. Like, you know, I want to have shit I never had. And, uh, I think a lot of people like to pretend that they don't or, or they, or maybe they really don't. I don't know, but I certainly do. I want to fucking, I want to have everything. And uh, I'm not going to do that sitting on my ass. That's for sure. So.
0: I think it takes working class kids from fucked up neighborhoods to keep hardcore alive. And I know that there's a ton of hardcore kids who did not come from those backgrounds who have a shit ton of influence in hardcore. So it's not saying it's just for that. But there's the grit to it and there's the die-hard work ethic that comes from it. And I think that's why, you know, people like us can get in a van and just grind out and have fun doing it and understanding what the blessing is. This conversation exactly. has been fucking absolutely amazing for me, Mike, because I know you in passing and this is like our first real long conversation. And I realized just how much you and I see eye to eye on this. And I once again want to tell you, man, Missing Link is like one of them bands that, and you know this from touring. You see two or three bands every day. You're like, oh, that's cool. But, you know, Missing Link stuck out, you know? And no. And when Richie told me he's putting the record out, I was even more fucking excited. You guys came and did this Ababa show. It was fucking great. Like, this is the cool shit I like to see, is bands popping up and doing shit, but not being like, well, we're going to get a manager and we're going to get a booking agent and we're going to take over the world. You're like, no, nah, we're doing two or three days and I got a barbershop and another job to attend to. I love hearing that because I think there's a longevity in picking and choosing when to play, writing cool shit and doing what you want. And I'm glad that you guys are going that route.
2: Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah. I mean, I, I, you know, I remember when you came up to me after our set at that show and told us we were sick and I was just like, well, that's not what I expected today. You know, <laughs> like <laughs> it, it, it's not uh, it's not every day that, you know, you play your second show or whatever. And, and somebody who, who, you know, books a lot of huge shit, you know, and, and has a lot of influence on, you know, um, what's going on in Philly, especially, you know, is like, yeah, your band is sick. I want to bring you guys here. It's like, you know, and I think that that, um, you know, that that helped us, I think, shift towards being a little bit more serious about it and and wanted to just put out like, you know, this record is such a major step up from the other stuff that it's, it's almost night. It's almost night and day. Um, So yeah, I I appreciate the kind words, you know, means a lot. And and, uh, I'm excited to kind of see what, what happens. And, and for the reception of the record, I mean, it's one of those things where if nobody likes it, I don't give a fuck because I like it, but um, I think, I do think people are going to like, I think, I think that if people really sit down and read the lyrics and, and consume it as a whole, record you know i think people want to like hear clickbait now but what i want to do when i buy a record is is pull out the fucking lyric sheet and sit down and listen to it and 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 get the whole thing you know um because every single part of this to the artwork everything was was crazy thought out to the point of obsession at points so
0: no i think that when bands go beyond the basics it's felt by the people listening and it makes people entice them to listen and read the lyrics. I think that you're going to be able to get some people turning your ear and eye to you once this thing comes out. And I just wish you guys the most success. And I'm really happy that you just came on the show. Is there anything else you uh, want to shout out? Anything you want to, um, any way we can reach out to you guys?
2: Yeah. So uh, if you want to reach out to us, you can message us on Instagram. That seems to be the easiest way. Um, shout out to Richie Crutch for putting us on and and really, really, um, honestly being a a blessing to work with. Like, you know, the dude doesn't say no to anything. (laughs) No, He just, he's like, Hey, if that's what you want to do, it's your shit, man, you do it. And I'll, and I'll back you. So I'm crazy grateful for him. And, and, um, I couldn't feel any more blessed to have him in our corner and, you know, thank you to you for, for having me on. Um, yeah, I think that's it, man. I think, uh, I don't know if I'm supposed to say or not, but records dropping December 1st digitally. So there'll be, by the time this comes out, I think, you know, people will, they'll be hearing the second single. And, and, uh, I think stuff's coming out very soon after that. So it's all right around the corner here, which feels a little bit surreal. But, uh, but yeah, man, shout out to everybody that kind of, did guest spots on the record and 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 helped us out. And shout out to all my friends from upstate. We don't give a fuck where anybody else lives.
0: <laughs> Love it. Well, listen, man. Thank you for coming on the show. I look forward to seeing the rise of Missing Link and just getting able to hang out with you more. Thank you for coming on and good luck to you in the future.
2: Hey man, thank you. Thanks for having us. Greatly appreciate all it. Man. Take care.
0: Take care. Yeah, dude. That's all I. Hey, I hope that you enjoyed that. That was really cool. I actually love just hearing people talk about parts of the East Coast that are lesser known, and Mike's whole story was pretty fucking sick. I had a great conversation. I hope you enjoyed it. We've got more episodes coming. Um, Health-wise, I've not been perfect. I'm overworked, and sometimes I don't do the right things, and I just get fucking... Completely wiped out. This computer really i had to take a ton of shit off. I only use a PC, so it constantly re- reinstalls Windows Defender. It slows shit down. It makes all my programs slow. Um, I've never tried to monetize this thing, so it's not something where it's like tomorrow I would drop like a $1,000 on a new computer just for the podcast. But I am looking into getting a PC that is solely for podcast. And then that way, all the files and all the stuff just stay there. And then I can just do my regular e- emails and stuff that I do for shows on another computer. And um, and I'm sorry that this that hasn't been specifically the most one point. Um, FYA is the second week of January. The third week of January is the Chisel Show. And then the trapped and Rice shows January is gonna be crazy. We're getting stuff together in February. 2023 might be one of the craziest years already, just in a calendar with people. And I feel like we're gonna have some awesome shows. And hopefully, you know, Alex and Ben put some crazy shit together as well. I will have a date for this is hardcore in the next week. So by December one was my deadline. Maybe the second, you know, the second or third, blah blah blah. But I'm gonna come up with a hard deadline. We're going to start talking. This is Hardcore Fest. Episodes are going to start rolling through. Um, The conversation with Mike that I did was actually recorded a couple weeks ago. And we just dropped it for Thanksgiving. So, happy Thanksgiving. And I'm back. I hope you have a great holiday. And if you didn't have a great holiday, it's not the end of the fucking world. You're still breathing. You have the ability to listen to podcasts. So, that means that you are doing better than probably millions and millions of people on Earth. At the, very, at the very least, remember that, that your station where things aren't perfect is still better than millions of other people in this world. The fact that you love hardcore just puts you above so many millions of people. And somewhere down the line, you are loved, and I appreciate you. Have a great day.